Let's uh, bow together in prayer and uh, ask the Lord to lead us as we look into his word today. Father, we've been worshiping you as the gracious one, the merciful one, the one who lets us off the hook, not in a very trite way, not in a superficial way, but a very costly way to you. And so, Lord, uh, lead us into further understanding of your heart, of your ways, of your mercy and grace and love. And we pray that you may give us eyes to see Jesus. All the more clearly we pray through this passage of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It goes without saying that one of the harsh realities of our world of this life in this fallen world, is that sinful people do sinful things to other sinful people. I mean, that is something that I don't think any of us have ever been immune from. Obviously, we know that people do and they say hurtful things, uh, they break promises, they betray one's trust, um, they also can inflict harm, and sadly enough, even commit atrocities. It's inevitable that people around us will offend us, they will at times sin against us, and we do the same to other people. And when people sin against us, we at that point face a why in the road. Uh, at that point, we are facing the temptation, the temptation to get even. It's such a strong and very, uh, a very uh, often uh, kind of sensation that we go through. We also, when people sin against us, we have a temptation to build walls, walls of alienation with bricks of resentment and bitterness. Many of us find it easy to nurse grudges. Some of us make it our business to keep track of all the long list of wrongs that we have received from other people. And some of us have allowed resentment to grow unchecked in our hearts, sadly, for years. And the result is that some of us have developed angry and critical spirits we're quick to insist on justice, and rarely do we find ourselves extending mercy. Over time, our hearts truly can be hardened by bitterness. What a contrast when we look at our tendencies, our, the paths that we have a tendency to walk on. What a contrast with Jesus. He was the sinless one. And yet he was sinned against by a long list of people. He was cruelly mistreated by common folk and people with great political and religious power. He was despised, rejected, and beaten. He was falsely accused and flogged and mocked. And those who hated him made it their business to take him, an innocent person, and put him to death in the most cruel and most brutal form ever invented by man. 
And rather than building walls of hatred, rather than building walls of bitterness, Jesus, showing the kind of heart that he has in those moments of excruciating pain during his execution, cries out to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus calls his followers to imitate him. Imitate him even in this area of forgiveness, and especially in this area of forgiveness. So much so that in the Sermon on the Mount, he makes it very clear in his instruction to his disciples, talking about the uniqueness and the unique ways of his kingdom. He says to his followers, forgive, in terms of our prayer life, we are to pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we also forgive those who are our debtors. He goes on then to teach his disciples, if you forgive other people for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people for their transgressions, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now those are heavy, weighted, profound standards. So much so that when Jesus talked about the idea of forgiving other people, his disciples sort of tried to figure out exactly what he was saying because it was so radical. It was so uh, challenging and difficult for them. So Peter thought that when Jesus said, forgive your brother, he thought, well, three is normally what be a, you know, somebody sends me three times, that's that's generous. He says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll bounce it up to seven, he says in Matthew chapter 18. And Jesus responds and says, no. Your, your forgiveness should be a limitless forgiveness in the sense that forgive as often as the offender repents. Jesus calls us and enables us to remove the walls of resentment, bringing those walls down that we've built over the course of our lives. He, takes, he tells us to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and to follow Him as peacemakers. He calls us to love as He loves, to forgive those who sin against us, not just in some formal way, not just in some sort of shallow formulaic way, like sometimes parents tell their children. Now, Johnny, tell your brother that you just shoved down to the ground. Tell him you're sorry. I'm sorry. Meanwhile, in his mind, He's thinking of three more things he'd like to do. When mom walks out the door, he's probably going to trip his brother again. See, that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. That's not forgiveness from the heart. That is a mandated forgiveness that somebody tells you you have to do. But Jesus is offering us heart. He's pointing us in the direction of heart forgiveness, which in my mind requires us to have a radically different way of thinking about this element of forgiveness to the point where we are changed in our motivations. Why should I forgive someone who sins against me? Particularly those who sin in a very egregious, painful, and way that causes us great suffering, great injustice. And I'm convinced that one of the great helpful passages in this regard is Matthew chapter 18. If you'd find your way there, we'll look in this particular passage Beginning in verse 23. Matthew 18, verse 23 and following. This is in response to Jesus saying to Peter, you should be able and willing to forgive as needed, limitlessly. 
Whenever there is someone who sins and they've repented, you should forgive them. And he says this, For this reason, verse 23, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment be made. The slave, therefore falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave the debt. But that slave, that same man, went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred days' wages. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, and by the way, this is an echo of verse 26 of what the previous man just said, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Here Jesus is offering a parable to illustrate, to clarify the dynamics of true, heartfelt, gracious forgiveness. I want us to look at this with three insights into the text this morning. First of all, I want us to notice how Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven to a ruler, a ruler who has apparently a vast kingdom, and he divides it up in sections, and he gives responsibility to different areas of responsibility. For example, to a, a vassal, we would say, a person who is given the responsibilities to collect taxes for his boss, for the king, for a profit. That's his job. And at a particular time of the year, the king was doing an audit for the kingdom, and they were looking at all the accounts of the different vassals, the different persons responsible for these things. It was discovered that one of his servants was owing a deep, a huge amount of money, so much so that the, Jesus chose and described it in words that were clearly exaggerated for the purpose of making a point. It was hyperbole. He uses the term 10,000 talents. Now the word talents is the largest unit of measuring wealth at that time of history. 
it was equal to approximately 6,000 days wages. Now, I don't even know what in the world that would calculate up to today's world, but he goes on and adds in front of that term. So that's the largest term for financial wealth you could have. And then he adds the term 10,000, which also was the largest, highest numerical term in the Greek language that they had for numbers. So what's he saying? He's saying here is a gigantic, mind-boggling amount of money that somebody could owe another person. It was clearly a figure that was like trillion dollars, which we're now being thrown around in our government, which I don't think anybody can comprehend how big that is, but this, let's just use it in that sense. No one that Jesus was talking to at that time, Peter and the other disciples, nobody could fathom a figure as big as what he just talked about. The man owed the king an unpayable debt. Here we then have a man who is, has immeasurable indebtedness. Immeasurable indebtedness. He's desperate for forgiveness. Things look bleak because the king is demanding an accounting. He is demanding a repayment. And the, everyone knew that this man, <laughs> there's no way he's going to come up with that money. No way. But since the king's official was unable to repay that immense debt, what does he do? He humbles himself. He is down on his knees. He is pleading for mercy. Indeed, as you look at verse 26, he showed how desperate he was. He is even on his knees pleading for mercy and saying, I'm going to pay you back for everything. How's he going to do that? It can't be done. But he's willing to say it. He may have thought, well, I'll try, but there's no way he's going to do it. I don't know where you see yourself in this parable, but I think we need to begin, at least at this point, and that is to say that all of us, Every single one of us is a servant of our God and of the King of the universe. He made us. He made everything that, there, that exists. And therefore, everything belongs to Him. And it is impossible to calculate the moral indebtedness that all of us have to this God in view of the number of times that we have refused to honor Him as God, the number of times that we have refused to gratefully worship Him and appreciate Him and to give Him the honor that He deserves. And how many times have we squandered His resources on ourselves? How many times have we abused the privileges that He has given to us? And indeed, there, therefore, all of us, all of us owe God an astronomically large debt. And we're unable to pay it. Like the man that owed the 10,000 talents, we have incurred a gigantic amount of spiritual debt that we owe to the King of Kings. I wonder, have you ever assumed that lowly position? similar to the man in this parable, where you admit to God and say, listen, God, I, I am a helpless debtor, and I left to myself, I am sure that I will no way ever be able to repay you. That is the approach, my friend, that every bankrupt 
deeply indebted sinner must assume before a holy and just God. You see, is your approach to God, is my approach to God as one who is a desperate debtor? Well, Jesus goes on in the parable and he then reveals to us that the master of this deeply indebted government worker had every right to impose the most severe form of justice that the laws would allow at that time upon this man. But the king, realizing that this man was indeed in a desperate situation, surprisingly, remarkably, amazingly, was moved with compassion toward this man. The king did something unheard of. Look at verse 27. He released this man and forgave him the 10,000 talent of debt. Jesus shocked his listeners at that point. He is describing the king as one who is exceptionally gracious, exceptionally merciful in this act. It's it's hard to imagine that anyone would ever think of doing something like that. Yet the king bestowed the most generous gift. He released this official from this huge obligation. And so point number two, clearly as we find in this text, immeasurable Immeasurably merciful. That's what God is. Immeasurably merciful. He offers full forgiveness. Again, comparing the story of this parable to the bigger narrative and story of God's dealing with sinners is that in the gospel of Christ, God releases helpless sinners from our immeasurable debt. In the cross of Christ, God provided complete payment for our sin. God is a merciful, gracious, forgiving King. And one of the most joy-producing truths that the Bible gives to us is that highly indebted, helpless sinners like you and me, who cast themselves, cast ourselves upon God and His mercy and humbly admit that we just do not have the ability to compensate God for the debt that we owe Him, that we can find forgiveness from this God by trusting Jesus to pay it on our behalf. Psalm 86, verse 5, says these wonderful words, You, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. You see, in the gospel, God's forgiveness is not limited just to those minor sins. It's just those little things we've done, or just to a few of our sins. But notice that in this wonderful reminder in the text, it's all of our sins are forgiven by this merciful God. That's why when you come to parts of the the epistles in the New Testament, again, Paul in in Colossians chapter 2 says this, God has forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out, having torn up the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You see, by shedding his blood on the cross, Jesus paid this astronomical debt that we owe to God. 
One author puts it this way, Forgiveness is free to the forgiven, but costly to the forgiver, because the forgiver pays. I'm going to repeat that. It's a helpful little uh, phrase here by Gary Enrig. Forgiveness is free to the forgiven, the man who owed the 10,000 talents, but costly to the forgiver because the forgiver pays. But my, when God offers his son to pay, what blessings to those of us who know forgiveness. As we alluded to earlier during the prayer time today, Horatio Spafford in those lyrics of that great hymn says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Jesus paid it all. Not so that we might over time pay him back. That's not the idea. But that we might be set free. Free now to love God. Free to serve Him out of a heart of gratitude. Grace pays our debt in full. Have you come to the end of your resources and trusted Christ to pay the debt of your sin? Are you relying on Jesus to pay your moral debt to God? Or are you still trying to improve yourself, to try to offer to God something to pay the huge, immense debt that you owe. I wonder if you've come to the point in your life where you know the unspeakable joy welling up in your heart that reflects the truth that God loves you, that God has washed away all of your guilt and shame. Have you come to the point in your life where you can treasure God, adore Him, who in His mercy has freed you from living under the crushing weight and burden of the debt of your sin? Well, that was what our second point entails for us to consider. But this story is not over. It has all sorts of twists and turns. And we come now to the third part of the story where the parable concludes with this dramatic turn of events. The man who was released from his astronomical debt went looking for a fellow government worker and demanded that the man pay back his debt of about 100 days' wages. Now, again, contrast 100 days' wages. Now, is that, a, is that a significant debt? Yeah, that's a lot of money. But you compare that to 10,000 times 6,000 days' wages? It's hard to believe that the man forgiven of that huge amount of debt would go and choke another fellow employee who owed him a mere pittance compared to the other. But this second man pleads with the first man, and he's sitting there saying, listen, give me more time to repay. I think he probably could have repaid him. He probably would have repaid him. But the first man refuses. He demands to have justice, and he wants justice now. So he throws the man to prison, which, by the way, once you're in debtor's prison, you have no ability to earn money. You can't repay anything. It's not going to solve anything other than just to make you feel like He's gotten what he deserves. But the lack of mercy from this first man who'd been forgiven that huge debt, it's nothing short of appalling. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to communicate here. 
So point number three is we have an immensely hard-hearted person. Immensely hard-heartedness. And then the evidence of that hard-heartedness is a refusal to forgive a fellow debtor, a fellow sinner. This vivid portrayal of how horrific it is when a believer refuses to extend mercy to another fellow believer who repents and seeks forgiveness, it is an ugly sight. It is an outrageous sight in a sense. Because I think we'd all agree that when a person's been forgiven such a massive debt owed to God and then refuses to extend a little bit of mercy to a fellow debtor who owes a rather trivial amount to him is something that just cries out and says, hmm, that doesn't seem right. No surprise that as those who heard about this atrocious attitude of the first man, look at verse 31, their reaction was, They were deeply grieved. They were like, oh, as if they'd been themselves suffered great loss and and feel like, wow, that is so sad. It's deeply troubling. It's deeply problematic whenever a fellow believer retains a bitter heart, refuses to forgive another believer who sinned against him. At this point, I want to just point out a very helpful resource for all of us uh, in addition to our reading this week in our workbook, but There's a book called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. The Peacemaker, Ken Sandy, he started a whole ministry dealing with how to help people work through biblical ways of resolving conflict. And I want to just glean a couple of comments from one page in his book. He says this, To forgive someone means to release him, to release her from liability to suffer punishment or penalty. That's what it means to forgive. And so he talks about the Greek word used in the New Testament here in in Matthew 18. It means to to let go, to release, to remit. And so he says, as these words indicate in the New Testament, forgiveness can be a costly activity. When someone sins, they create a debt, and someone must pay that debt. Most of this debt is owed to God, he says. But if someone sinned against you, part of their debt is owed, also owed to you. And this means that you have a choice to make. You can either take payments on the debt, or you can make payments on the debt. You can take payments on the debt or extract payments from other people's sins in many ways, by withholding forgiveness, by dwelling on the wrong, by being cold and aloof, by giving up on the relationship, by inflicting emotional pain, by, um, by gossiping, by lashing back, or by seeking revenge against the one who hurt you. These actions may provide a perverse pleasure for the moment, but they exact a high price from you in the long run. He goes on then to conclude this. As someone once said, Unforgiveness is the poison we drink, hoping others will die. This conclusion of the parable is rather alarming, isn't it? Alarming in the sense of how one guy responds, the first guy, but it's also alarming at what happens to him. It's confusing at some points, 
I believe the king here is angry at the sinful response of one of his subjects who was released from all this massive debt. And he hands him over to torturers who I believe are going to be used to impress upon him of his need to come to his senses. That he needs to have a change of heart. He needs to forgive his brother. Indeed, I think that he is not demanding to have some sort of repayment because he's unable to make full repayment of that debt. It's clear he'll never, ever repay that debt. Rather, it's designed to compel the forgiven man to extend mercy to his brother, to forgive his brother as he had been forgiven. And I believe we want to be careful here, not draw the conclusion that God is some sort of acts with irrational anger at people. Not at all. But in accordance to Hebrews 12, let's be very clear, God in His love does discipline His children. And He puts into our lives various hardships. He puts into our lives pressures and problems to humble us, to encourage us, to bring us to the point where we do repent and forsake the sin of bitterness. Lord Herbert summarized the lesson that Jesus taught with this word. I think this quote is in your notes there. And it says this, He who cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass. In other words, when we refuse to release others from their sin against us, we've lost sight, obviously, of the immense debt that God released us from through the cross of Christ. And whenever our hearts are harboring revenge, we remain embittered toward those we ask forgiveness for, who have asked forgiveness and who have repented, then we're acting at odds with God's treatment of us and at odds with the new nature He's given to us. Holding a grudge robs us of joy. It hardens our hearts. It offends God who forgives us so generously. Remember, there's nothing other people can do to you. There's nothing other people can do to you or to me that compares with what you and I have done to God. That's why only Christ in the gospel not only calls us, he enables us, and he motivates us in the gospel to be merciful as our Father in heaven is merciful. So what's the point of the parable? Forgiven people must be forgiving people. So that's the question we're going to look at this week. For some of us, we have gone through that painful process and we know what it is and we have seen God enable us to do it. Others of us, it's part of our life that we've just sort of maybe said, I'm not going to deal with that anymore. And perhaps we've built those walls and so it's an opportunity for God to really begin to work in our hearts in a powerful way to see us what? As we seek Him, oftentimes He brings things to our attention we need to deal with. Let's pray. Just a moment as we all take a moment to be quiet here and to close our own eyes, to think only of ourselves, not of other people here. I want you to think Do you see yourself in that parable today? Do you have eyes to see your indebtedness toward God? 
Do you have eyes to see in your heart how gracious and merciful God is toward you in the giving of His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, for your sins? What is your attitude toward God today? Have you humbled yourself? Are you overwhelmed with a sense of the wonder of God's incredible, amazing grace and mercy and love? And how, what, and how are you responding to the offenses that people have committed against you? They may be things from the past, long ago, but they still impact you today. They may be things that have just recently happened, even today or this week. Are you willing to let that other person off the hook? Are you willing to break down the walls of bitterness and resentment by the grace of God with the help of Christ? Are you willing to work through some very practical, making it personal questions in your workbook? I urge you, don't pass that up this week. Make time for it. And ask the Holy Spirit to work anywhere He discovers there are areas in your life you need to take care of, then take care of them. Why do we do that? Because the huge debt we owe has been forgiven because of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would have a powerful work in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would point us to, to you and to your amazing mercy and grace in the Gospel in a very real and powerful way. Lord, if there's someone here today who has just has been given eyes to see the immense immensity of their astronomical debt they owe you. And Lord, with fresh eyes of the wondrous mercy and grace you show to us in the gospel, I pray that that, that person would even this day repent of their sins, have a change of heart, and come in simple faith, trusting Christ and his payment, paying, paying in full for all their sin. Lord, would they come to know Christ personally today as their Savior. And the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see and be sensitive to your spirits dealing with our own hearts in this area of resentment and bitterness and anger and hurt from those who have sinned against us. May we be a forgiving people with tender hearts in light of your mercy and grace shown to us. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. As we sing our last